We're going to talk this morning about freedom. Freedom is a word on a lot of people's lips today. Uh, Wars are fought over freedom. In fact, on Monday as a nation, we just celebrated our freedom and the men and women who serve to protect that. You college, uh, you high school kids who just graduated from college, I know part of what you're looking forward to next year is the freedom that you're about to experience. And what you're going to do with that freedom is a decision uh, you're going to have to make, right? The books and movies we love to read or go to, my argument would be that they tend to have this theme of freedom about them, right? There's some people who are being oppressed, their freedom has been taken away, and a hero enters the scene and rescues them and gives them the freedom back that they once had or the new freedom that they want to enjoy. Music today, it's I was stunned. I actually looked this up. How many songs are written about freedom? I mean, there are just tons and tons of songs about freedom. Tell me, do you recognize this one? I'm free to do what I want any old time. Nobody has admitted to this. This is the Rolling Stones. I know you're not allowed to admit to that, right? But I got to say, that song is a pretty good definition of what I believe the world thinks freedom is, don't you? Free means I'm able to do whatever I want whenever I want. That's freedom. Or is it? If that is really what freedom is, you're probably not very surprised to learn that the popular image of Christianity today in our world is not one of freedom at all. It's actually the reverse. Brad Pitt, famous actor, was recently quoted as saying, I would call religion oppression because it stifles any kind of personal, individual freedom. Is he right? Another person says, Christianity doesn't seem to have much to contribute to freedom. In fact, Christianity appears to be an authoritarian system of do's and don'ts backed up with heavenly sanctions. Christianity seems to get in the way of freedom. Are they right? Does our faith in Christ get in the way of experiencing freedom? Freedom. Well, according to Paul, who authored this letter we've been studying for the last six weeks called Galatians, the answer to that is an emphatic, I've heard it over here a few times, no! Faith in Christ is all about freedom. In fact, if you're following, for the last six weeks, we've been learning over and over and over again, Paul's been arguing that true freedom, true freedom, not the way the world defines freedom, Not being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it, but true freedom can only be found in Christ. Can only be found in Christ. And by the way, this isn't just Paul. Jesus himself confirmed this in the very first message he ever gave. He said, I've come to set the captives free. His message was all about freedom. And so the question I want to kind of pose with you this morning is, How is Christian freedom different from the kind of freedom the world talks about today? Now, if you haven't been with us, we are in the middle, I just kind of mentioned, in a series in the book of Galatians that we called Free. How appropriate. And the issue in this letter is this. Paul had started some churches in the area today of modern Turkey. And these churches, man, they started off great. They were following Jesus. They were growing. They were being filled with the Spirit. They were maturing. Then Paul had to leave because part of his calling was to go and plant other churches. So he leaves. He's planting other churches. And these false teachers enter into these churches in the Galatia region. We have been calling them. They're actually called Judaizers, right? And they entered in and they came to, quote, fix the churches. 
They came to fix these Galatian believers. They were telling these Galatian believers that you're junior varsity Christians. You're junior varsity Christians. And if you want to make the varsity squad, here's what you need to do. You need to add works of the law to your faith in Jesus Christ. Right? That's what we've been hearing week after week. But for four chapters now in this book, this amazing book of Galatians, Paul has been reminding them and us over and over and over and over again, if you're following on your notes, that the gospel is and always will be. It was then, it was a hundred years ago, it will be in the future. The gospel is and always will be Christ plus nothing. Christ plus nothing. You cannot add works of the law and the equation still comes out gospel. It, it, it just doesn't work. In fact, for the last three weeks, you know, we kind of dug down. If you've been here, we were in some of the deep waters of this book of Galatians. And really all Paul was trying to do in that section of Galatians, he's taking us back to the Old Testament and saying this was always God's plan, right? Just like Abraham was justified by faith alone in Christ, so too are we. We are now adopted. You're adopted as a son, as an heir, no longer as a slave. And then last week, Jeff did a great job of showing us we are children of promise, not children of performance anymore. Now in this week, this week, chapter 5, we get to chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul, we're going to see, makes a major shift in this letter. And it's a shift he makes essentially in every single one of his letters. If you've read through Paul's letters, tell me if you don't notice the same pattern. What happens is in the beginning of most of Paul's letters, he's writing about, I would just call it theolo- theology, belief. Here's what we can know to be true. But then he makes a shift in every single one of his letters, and he starts to talk about, okay, so what? How does that now impact the way that you and I live? And so we've been discovering the gospel is Christ plus nothing for four chapters now. He's going to now move in chapter five. So what? So what? How does this actually apply to the way we live? And for Paul, it's all about freedom. It's all about freedom. In fact, would you read verse one of chapter five printed on your notes there with me? In my opinion, this is the summary of the whole book of Galatians and really the summary of the section we're about to enter into. Let's read it out loud. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In Greek, this sentence is even shorter than what we get there. Literally, it reads, for freedom Christ freed you. How do you like that? Both the noun and the verb in this sentence are the word freedom. In other words, freedom is the ends and the means of the Christian life. Freedom is what the gospel is all about. Jesus' mission on earth was a mission of liberation. But what Paul suggests in this verse and where we're going this morning is that there are two enemies to our freedom. And if we're not careful... If we allow these enemies to get a hold of us, we will once again find ourselves not experiencing freedom, but bondage. He's going to address the first one in verses 2 through 12, and he's been addressing that one throughout this letter, but he's going to kind of raise a new one in verses 13 through 15. But if you're following, here they are. There are two enemies of freedom. There are two enemies of freedom, legalism and license. You can see how to spell that there on your notes. But legalism and license, let me give you a quick definition. Legalism, as we've been seeing, is the system of belief that says, it's what I do that earns God's love for me. My salvation is based on law observance. That's legalism. License is the other side of that. 
It basically says, now that I have been set free in Christ, I have grace, I can now do, hey, if you, does this sound familiar? I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Legalism and license, and I just want to pause right here and tell you, for over 2,000 years now, I want you to think about those two things like this giant pendulum, or think of a grandfather clock right now, for over 2,000 years ago, and I would bet in your life, what has happened in the church, what happens in my life is I swing from one of those two extremes to the other, right? I mean, look at the history of the church. You've got seasons in the church where they're swinging way over here on the legalism side saying, we earn God's salvation. It's Christ plus law. That equals salvation. But then people remind them, no, 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 it's grace. It's grace. But the danger of that is, it's not cheap grace. Is it grace that allows me to do anything I want? And there's people who take it to that extreme. You sense this in your life sometimes as well. Am I alone on this? These pendulum shifts that go like legalism, license. Legalism, <laughs> license. And in verse 1, Paul says, stand firm. Don't go back and forth between those things. In fact, look what he says. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Notice that word again. That's really interesting to me. You might even want to circle that. Can we remember who Paul is talking to here? He is talking to the Galatians who are Gentiles. What are Gentiles? Anyone who is not? So that's really interesting. Again, they were experiencing some sort of burden before. Well, what was the burden? And he's reminding them they didn't know Christ before. They were worshiping idols. They were living as pagans. They actually lived according to our world's definition of freedom. They were able to do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. And Paul says to them, you remember? Remember that? Was that the freedom you thought it really offered? And they're like, no, 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 no. Don't go back to that again. So what happens? They don't want to go back to that again, but they've now allowed these false teachers to come and swing the pendulum in the complete opposite direction by saying, Freedom is found in obeying the law. You want real freedom? Then it's Christ plus the law or legalism. But Paul warns them, if you believe that, all you're doing is putting yourself back in slavery. The image he uses there, even though we don't talk a lot about yokes today, we don't even see yokes today, I'm guessing, but we're all probably familiar with a yoke. What a great image, right? And the idea of a yoke is it's something you'd put on an ox or something to carry a, a heavy burden. It would carry the burden down the road. And Paul's reminding them, you remember at one point you were carrying the yoke of slavery to sin. Then Christ came along and he removed it from you and you could stand in freedom before God. And they're like, yeah, we remember that. You remember that in your life? That was a good day, wasn't it? But what can happen and what was happening to these Galatians is that these false teachers were coming in and saying, yeah, 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 but here's another yoke for you, legalism. And all that does is burden us once again in slavery. You see, Paul is arguing here that both license and legalism lead to the same thing. And that's where we're going this morning. I want to talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about the first enemy of our freedom, which is legalism. It's going to start in verse 2. Are you ready about, with this? Excited to open God's word together? Mark my words. That's Paul, not me. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Here we see the exact yoke that these teachers were demanding the Galatians put on. Circumcision. I guess technically speaking, they were asking them to put off this yoke. 
I'm not going to go down that road. I better stop right now. The false teachers are essentially saying, as we've heard their messages, unless somebody was circumcised, they were not really saved. Unless you became Jewish, you weren't going to be saved. And we think, we read this and go, what is the big deal? Like, why does Paul get so worked up about this? I mean, it's just like a minor body operation. Maybe not so minor, but you know, why does Paul make such a fuss about this? And it all has to do with the implications. You see, circumcision, if a man was to be circumcised, it stood for a particular type of religion, namely salvation by good works through obedience to the law. That's what it stood for. By being circumcised, they were going to be saying, my faith in Christ is insufficient. I need to add this thing in order to be saved. It's like saying, Paul would say, it's like saying, I need Moses to finish what Christ began. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And if that's what they believe, Christ becomes of no value to them. Verses 3 and 4, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law, which as we know is completely doable, right? How are you guys doing on that? Not so much. Impossible. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. In fact, in short, let me just say, here's what the false teachers were saying the equation really was. Christ plus circumcision equals salvation. Christ plus following the law, Christ plus legalism, that's what equals salvation. And Paul is saying, Christ plus anything equals nothing. It equals nothing. Justification through the law, that's self-salvation. That has nothing to do with Christ at all. In fact, when that's your system of belief, you are alienated from God. You can't have it both ways. Friends, this is not a both-and thing. Do you, have you been hearing this week after week? This is an either-or deal. It's either a religion of law by good works or it's faith in grace that Christ saved me. If you're following, the idea is if we add anything to Christ, we lose Christ. If we add anything to Christ, and again, we're talking about salvation here, we lose Christ. So if law obedience isn't the answer, what is? Verse 5, for through the Spirit... We eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. We don't work for it. We wait for it. Ugh. I needed something a little better there. No, we wait. We wait, it says, in hope. We wait in hope for our righteousness, for God to complete in us what he began. Now, I want to remind you, if you weren't here several weeks ago, I described what I think is really a better biblical understanding of what salvation is. Can I put that slide up there? If you were here, you might recall so often today, we think when we hear the word salvation, that was like a past event that happened to me a long time ago. And yet, the biblical understanding of our salvation is that it's an ongoing process in our lives. It includes our justification, the moment we were declared right, that's a past event when we were forgiven and so much more happened. But it also includes, listen, right now, our salvation is ongoing. It's part of God's transforming work in us. It's sanctification. And it also includes one day our glorification when we will stand forever with God in eternity praising His name. That is salvation. And that's what we wait for. Active waiting for Christ to be working out his life in my life, and we hope 
And we hope, and by the way, this kind of hope is a totally different kind of hope than the world thinks of hope. I'm not talking about like I hope it's going to be sunny tomorrow, because I have no confidence it will be. (laughs) Hope for a Christian is absolute assurance. It's like standing on solid ground saying we wait and we hope with assurance that this is exactly what God is doing in my life. Why? Because he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. He will. He'll bring it to completion. I got to tell you, when I try to do this stuff on my own, salvation, there is no hope. There is no hope. It just leads to despair. It leads to guilt, and it leads to shame. Read verse 6 out loud on your notes. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's a great verse. Right there, you see the pendulum Paul is trying to talk about, right? The two enemies listed right there. On one hand, you got circumcision, which again, just stands for legalism. It stands for this system of belief that says, I can earn God's salvation, but then uncircumcision is this system of belief that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. It's, it's license, and his argument here is, if you're following on your notes, that neither legalism or license have the power to free us. Neither legalism or license have the power to free us. Both lead to slavery. We're going to talk about the slavery of license in a little while. But what he says in this verse is the only thing that's going to work in our lives, the only thing that will work in our lives is when our faith in Christ is energizing the way we live and the way we think. That's what works. That's what works. Paul gives three illustrations. I just want to run through these quick, but really three quick illustrations about how foolish the Galatians are in believing this trap of legalism. Verse 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? I think we can all, you know, relate to this one, a race. He's saying, you guys started off great you were following jesus he was the leader when all of a sudden somebody cut in front of you and said hey follow us over here and you're like yeah that looks like a good way to go and it got you completely off the track of following jesus but they say well i'm pious still i still read my bible i do all the right things i'm running really hard yeah but you're running the wrong race Well, we're following our leaders. Yeah, but they're not following Jesus, and that's kind of a problem. Who cut in on you and kept you from finishing the race that Christ has set before you? They started off strong, but they got off track. Can that happen to us when we we get down the legalism thing? Can we get a little off track? I start following myself. I start following this person, that person, instead of who? Jesus. He's the one I need to follow. Paul moves from the running track to the courtroom. Verse 8, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Persuasion was a word used by attorneys. Attorneys, they would try to persuade the judge of their case. And he's saying these Galatians have fallen for the persuasion. This false teaching of these Judaizers. Finally, Paul moves from the courtroom to the kitchen. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Again, I think we probably are all familiar with yeast. Very small, but extremely powerful. You only need a little bit to make an entire loaf of bread rise, right? And in the Bible, yeast is often used as as something that compromises. 
And what Paul is saying there is he's saying, don't think that just because you're circumcised, it's just some small deal. No. By doing that, you, it's like yeast. It's going to infect your whole life. It's going to infect the whole church. That's how big of a deal. That's what's at stake here when we lean towards the legalism side. I mean, again, circumcision isn't our issue today, but let's be honest. There are still ways that we can find ourselves in this trap of trying to earn God's approval. Verse 10, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. Now that's always amazed me that that verse is there right there. I mean, Paul has been laying it into the Galatians in this letter, right? And now he says, I'm confident. I'm confident that you will take no other view. How can he be confident? Because he witnessed their conversion. And he knows that he who begins a good work in us will bring it to completion. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Interesting here, it looks like the false teachers not only came in and were teaching Jesus plus the law, they were saying that that's what Paul believed as well. He just forgot to get to that part of the message while he was with them. I mean, can you imagine Paul's like face at this moment? It's got to be like red. If you want to really make Paul mad, here you go. Mess with the gospel. Paul says, that's nonsense. That is not what I preach. I do not preach legalism. I do not preach faith by following the law. I preach, he says, Christ crucified. For Paul, the gospel always comes back to the cross. It always, always comes back to the cross. And listen, he says to preach the cross is an offense. It's an offense. If he were preaching circumcision, why would he still be persecuted? I mean, think about it today. Do people still preach circumcision today? Again, we're thinking broad terms, right? What's what's circumcision stand for? Self-salvation. Is that message being taught today? I'd say turn on the TV between the hours of 2 and 5, and that's really the message you're probably going to get. I'd say go to a local bookstore, and you're going to hear a lot of preaching circumcision, right? Preaching circumcision says you are a sinner, but guess what? There's good news. You can save yourself. Here's a secret. Here's 10 steps to a better... Here's... I'm not saying all those things are always bad, but the general principle being taught in our society today is... I can save myself. And Paul says that preaching the cross is an offense. Literally, the word is a scandal. I love that. Cross is a scandal. It causes people to trip over. Is that true? If I tell you that you are a sinner, you're a rebel, you're under the wrath and condemnation of God, and you have absolutely no hope except for faith in Christ, is that offensive today? It goes right here. You better believe it's offensive. It goes right at my pride. It goes right at my pride because I want to believe that I have a role to play in my salvation. Paul says the reason we are being persecuted is exactly because we aren't preaching circumcision. I'm preaching Christ crucified. And if you're following on your notes, we are set free only by faith in Christ crucified. That's the message. And it's still offensive today. In fact, we should not be surprised That Christians are persecuted for preaching this message. Paul says, expect it. If people aren't a little bit offended, they're not a little offended by our message, I just wonder, are we preaching the right message? 
Now, I'm not saying let's be obnoxious about it. There's plenty of people being obnoxious about it. That does nobody any good. But the message of the cross is still offensive to people today because it hits our pride right here. And we have to lay that aside. We have to lay that aside. Verse 12, man, what a verse. Paul just lets, I mean, this is like raw Paul. You want to make them mad? Look at verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Don't tell me the Bible's not real. Don't tell me we don't see real human emotions. I mean, Paul's so concerned about false teachers. What an interesting thought. I can't go down this, but how concerned are we? Are we this concerned? He's so concerned about false teachers that he even expresses the wish, you know what, instead of stopping at circumcision, just go the whole way. Just go the whole way. I think part of what he's saying there, he's using kind of an ironic tone to suggest he hopes they stop producing children of slavery. He wants them to stop producing children of slavery. That's how serious of an enemy legalism is to our freedom. Are you free from it? Are you free from legalism? Now Paul can hear the pendulum shifting right at this moment. Chapter 5, verse 13. He can hear exactly what the teachers are saying, and he can hear exactly what the Galatians are saying, and he can hear what so many people have said throughout history, which is, well, if that's true, if I'm free to do whatever I want, awesome. I can go now live however I want, right? I am free to live in absolute immorality, to do whatever I want. And Paul says, come on. Read verse 13 out loud with me on your notes. We're going to take a shift in this letter here. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now the flesh, when Paul is using it in the Bible, is not talking about this stuff. He's talking about our fallen, sinful nature that we inherited from our parents. They inherited it from their parents. Our nature that when we are born starts off as self-centered and prideful and is prone to sin. We sang about it in that song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Are you? I, I feel it. I feel it. That's my flesh. And Paul says we are not to use our Christian freedom to indulge the flesh because if you're following, to abuse our freedom in sin is just another form of slavery. To abuse our freedom in sin is just another form of slavery. Now I want to come back to that concept in a minute, but right now I think you might be wondering, well this sounds like the complete opposite thing Paul has been saying for four chapters and 12 verses. I mean, what's the deal here, Paul? You're sounding exactly like the false teachers here. I mean, are we, do we have restrictions on our freedom or not? Let me give you an example. Maybe this would be helpful. I'm not sure. But when I was in college, I got to go uh, all through Europe and travel with a couple of our professors. I think I've told you this before. One of the places we got to go uh, was Oxford. Any of you been to Oxford before? Anyone? Yeah, good. A few of you have been there. Some of you who have been there, you'll recognize this. Then this is uh, called the Radcliffe Camera. And it's really one of the centerpieces uh, in the town of Oxford. And what you can't see is a beautiful building, you agree? But what you can't see is there's this fence around the Radcliffe camera that says, you know, it is illegal to walk on the lawn, or please don't walk on the lawn, or something like that. Now, interesting story, back in the 60s, they removed the fence. And what began to happen is that people started walking on the lawn. And then, not only did they start walking on the lawn, they started having parties on the lawn. 
and they started destroying the lawn, and pretty soon the exterior of the Radcliffe camera was just destroyed. It was ugly. It was made impure. And so several years ago, they put the fence back up, and that's what we now have. Once again, a majestic building with majestic grounds. Now, listen, that story is all about the use and abuse of freedom, isn't it? It's all about the use and abuse of freedom. Just because the fence was gone, did that make ruining the property the right thing to do? The best thing to do? No, it's one thing to be free, to be able to walk on the grass, but it's quite another to decide what I'm going to do with my freedom once I have it. And I think, I think we would all agree that people began to abuse that freedom. Would you agree with me? That freedom was abused. Likewise, listen, follow me. As Christians, we have now been given freedom from legalism. There is no fence any longer that is going to keep us from God. We are, we've been discovering all these amazing things, justified, declared right, adopted children, heirs, sons of the promise. I mean, all this incredible stuff. That's who we are. That can't be taken away from us. However, does our standing in Christ now mean we can live however we want? Like the Radcliffe camera, Paul warns that if that becomes our attitude, it will lead to an equal kind of slavery. A slavery to our flesh, which leads to sin, which leads to impurity. Now, here's where this is going to get really fun. We don't believe this is true in our society today at all. We don't believe that, that the world's definition of freedom actually leads someone to slavery. We really don't. We hear people proclaiming freedom with a loud voice. They speak of free love, right? We're, we see sin, and let's be honest, sin looks pretty fun. Sin looks pretty fun, but the reality is when we become enslaved to our flesh, it's just another form of bondage. Can I get really serious for a minute and give you some examples? Pornography. Are we free to look at a computer? I'm free. There's no fence. However, I would tell you right now, just because I'm, I oversee men's ministry, that more than 50% of men in the church, with a capital C, the church, are in bondage. They are in slavery to pornography. You see, what happens is, yeah, I'm free at first, but eventually I've got to keep doing it, and I've got to keep doing it, and pretty soon we can't break free from it. Is that not true? Some of you, I, again, I don't I want to just... Be real here, I'm trying not to be too touchy, but some of you grew up in alcoholic families. You had parents who were alcoholics. Was that freedom? Were your parents living in freedom? No, you know. Because you were also experiencing slavery because of their slavery to that thing. How about not such a serious thing? What about just something like lying? Can we really become slaves to lying? Well, just think about it. Follow the progression. I lie to make myself look better, then i got to lie again in order to keep that lie up, and pretty soon my whole life becomes a measure of lies, and that's where license will eventually lead us. We will find ourselves in bondage to these things of the flesh. If you're falling on your notes, Christian freedom is different. Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. It's, it's freedom from sin, yes, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We are forgiven from our sin, but it's not a freedom to sin. Here is a conclusion I had to come at one point in my life. 
I was in high school. I can remember it. Perhaps you're not here yet. Perhaps you're still struggling between the two messages that our world says about freedom. Here's what, you know, the Bible says. Here's what the world says. But here's what I have to come to. I have to ask myself this question. What if it's true? What if it's true that real freedom is not found in doing whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it? What if it's true, actually, that real freedom is found in obeying Christ? <gasps> what if God is not a cosmic killjoy who sits in heaven and says, don't do that just because I don't want you to. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. What if that isn't God's posture at all? It's stay away from that because I really love you. Stay away from that because I don't want you to get into bondage into that thing. Here are my warnings to you because just like any good parent, I want to warn you of how you can make sure you're not shifting between legalism and license. Legalism and license. What if God really had our best interests in heart? What if that's where freedom was really found? What if, as the title of this message says, we are actually free to obey? What if God wants the best life for you? And there it is. Let me explain with an example. Let's take that example of lying again. On the one hand, if I lie tomorrow, does that mean my standing with Christ changes? Come on. No? Yes? God's like, boom, you failed today. We're done. No. It will never change. All of my past, present, and future lies have been forgiven. I stand before God as his son, forgiven, clean, Someone, however, who leans on the legalism side, they're trying to spend their whole life not to lie. I mean, that's my goal. I'm not going to lie today. I'm not going to lie today. And then when they lie, what happens? They're devastated. I failed. Guilt. Shame. Is that freedom? No. Freedom is standing sure in the promise that I've already been forgiven for that lie. However, let me ask a deeper question. Why did I even want to lie in the first place? we go why did I even want to lie in the first place stick with me a person would you agree I didn't say follow me I said stick with me a person who has to have approval or power or comfort or success don't we want that that's the flesh stuff I want that but a person who is living out of that they will lie to keep it they will lie to get it but in that case, is lying to get those things actually freedom? Is that person truly, honestly, really free? No, it's a different kind of slavery. It's a slavery to myself. It's a slavery to my flesh. But a person who knows in their heart and in their mind that I am free in Christ, if I lie, it will not change my standing in Christ one bit. However, I don't have to lie. Because I know who I am already in Christ. I know that he has set me free. I don't have to live for myself anymore in this image I'm trying to protect. Because that's what license ultimately is. It's becoming our own gods. Protecting our own lives. Protecting and living for ourselves. But Paul says the gospel should motivate us for an entirely different way of living. You know, deep down, both legalism and license, you know what they are? Selfish. Their selfishness. They're living out of myself. Legalism's like, God, ah, look what I did. Bless me. Like me. Love me. That's selfish. 
License is the same thing. I can do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. The gospel, however, transforms us, and we're given a whole other perspective for how to live. In fact, not self-focused, but other-focused. Look at verses 14 and 15. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Paul's like, you guys want to talk about law? Law, 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 let's do it. Here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. If you're following license and legalism for that matter, leads to selfishness. And would you agree that selfishness is just another form of slavery? If I'm a slave to myself, oh, but the gospel leads to serving others. The gospel leads to serving others. Christian freedom is service not to myself, but to others. When we know we are in Christ, we have a totally different paradigm of how to view ourselves and how to view others. And that leads to what I think is the true definition of freedom. If you've zoned out for a little while, come back to me. This is even italicized on your notes there. Here it is. True freedom comes when we obey God out of love. True freedom comes. What if this is true? When we obey God out of love. That word love, have you seen it? It's been all over this passage. I haven't brought it up because I've been saving it for now. It's the big finish. Love. Love. What's the answer to the pendulum problem? Legalism. License. When I stand firm in God's love for me, the natural outcome, the natural result is going to be a love for him and a love for others. Several weeks ago, we had a drama here at our church up on stage. If you remember, there was a woman who was like reading the Bible, serving at St. John's Breadline, doing all the things, you know, we're supposed to do, but there was no sense of fulfillment. It was a real struggle for them. And we had someone, I had someone come up to me after the, uh, one of the services and they asked the million dollar question, tell me you don't ask this too, Aren't I still supposed to do those things? That's the question I asked for so much of my life. Aren't I still supposed to serve and read the Bible and pray? And here is the brilliant conclusion I've come to. The answer to that question, it depends. You like that? It depends entirely on what your motivation for doing it is on what my motivation for doing it is. In fact, if you're falling on your notes there, the key to our obedience (laughs) is found in our motivation. Listen to me. It's found in our motivation, and this is a daily thing. I'm telling you, it's a daily thing, right? I wake up in the morning. What's my motivation to read the Bible? Is it because I want to earn something from God? I want to check it off my list and say, woo, look at me, God. Or when I try to avoid lying, am I doing it because, oh, I want to follow the rules? Or am I motivated out of love? Am I motivated out of the love that God displayed for me in Jesus Christ and now I am free to obey him? You see the difference? Give me a quick example. I don't know if I'm running out of time probably here, but our kids both play soccer. And let me ask you a question. Is my love for our kids based on whether or not they score a goal that day? If you don't know the answer to that, I'm in trouble. (laughs) No. It it doesn't matter to me at all. My love is unconditional for them. It's not based on whether they score a goal. However, will they receive 
like huge amounts of joy and will I receive huge amounts of joy when my kids succeed and they score a goal or they do well in their game? Yeah, you better believe it. But they're not earning it from me. It's because I love them and because they know that I love them, because they are loved and they love the game of soccer. That's what motivates them to play hard and to score goals. Yes, but how now becomes the question, right? Do you want to live out of that kind of motivation? Do you want to obey out of love? Do you want that? You've got to come back next week. <laughs> How's that for a plug? I'm not kidding. Jeff is going to give the greatest message ever next week about this. <laughs> we have a joke. He does that all the time about, you're going to hear the best message ever next week. But No, he, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint of where we're going. It has to do with the amazing gift God has given us in his grace called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's a pretty incredible thing. And when we learn how to walk according to the Spirit instead of listen according to the law... And instead of according to our flesh, we will be motivated to obey God out of love. Can I just put it this way? If I have an alcohol problem, I don't really have an alcohol problem. I have a Jesus problem. If I have a pride problem, I don't really have a pride problem. I have a Jesus problem. If I have an anger problem, I don't really have an anger problem. I have a Jesus problem. If I have a pornography problem, I don't really have a pornography problem. I have a Jesus problem. If I have a guilt problem because I can't follow all the rules, I don't have a following the rules problem. I have a Jesus problem. The only answer, the only answer in your life and mine is Jesus and his love for us. The only answer is we live out of his love by the power of his Holy Spirit, which is his incredible gift to us. He begins to transform us, and we become more like him. And when we become more like him, chains are broken free. We become free of things like alcohol and porn and anger and rule following. Why? Because he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion when we are motivated out of love to allow him to do it. What is your motivation? What is your motivation? What do you truly believe about freedom? I can actually tell you what you believe. I can tell you. I could follow you around for a day and tell you what your real motivation is. You want to know why? Because it's a dead giveaway in our lives if you're following. Our behavior is a reflection of what we truly believe. Our behavior, the way I live, is a reflection of what I truly believe. If I'm believing that I've got to earn God's love and acceptance, what's my behavior going to be like? Legalism. If I believe freedom means I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, what's my behavior going to be like? License. But if I believe that God really does have the best possible life in mind for me because of his love, I am free to obey. I am free to obey out of a motivation entirely different, a motivation of love. Again, I think Jeff's going to talk some more about this next week, but as we close, here's the question I have for us. Am I experiencing the freedom that is only found in God's love? Are you experiencing the freedom that can only be found in God's love? Can I tell you, as you're putting away your notes, he wants you to. He wants you to. How do you know that, Steve? He died for it. He died for it. And what a great transition for us as we consider what we're about to do together as we take communion as a church family. Why did Jesus go to the cross? 
Why did he set us free? For God so liked the world. For God was so pleased because we did so much stuff. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. And it's interesting, you read through the Gospels, you see this thing of Jesus being obedient, right? Interesting. He's obedient to the Father. Why? Because of his love for the Father. And what motivated the Father? His love for us. It all comes back to love. It all comes back to God's love for you. And the natural outpouring of that is going to be a love for him and a love for one another. When that's our motivation, we are truly free. We are truly free. In case you're visiting with us this morning, we never want anybody to feel uncomfortable with what we're about to do. We're going to take communion. What's going to happen is some guys are going to pass some trays with some juice and bread inside of it. And if you have made a decision at one point in your life that the gospel is Christ plus nothing, and I've received that, then we welcome you to this table. It doesn't matter if you go to another church. This table is welcome. If, however, you're still asking questions on the way, seeking, we don't want you to feel any condemnation from us at all. You are welcome here. We would just ask you to consider what you've heard today about God's love for you. The other thing to just mention is just hang on to the juice and to the bread as it's being passed. We take that together as a church family, and I'll lead us in that time. Now the team is going to sing a song as these are passed. This is a way for us to prepare our hearts. This song they're singing couldn't be any more appropriate and perfect for what we just looked at together. So enter into a heart of worship. As always, we'll have people down front if you need someone to pray with this morning. But really, Cherry Hills, I just hope my biggest prayer this week is that you can walk out of these doors with an overwhelming sense of God's love for you. And because of that love, we are free. We are free to experience what true freedom really is. God bless you as, a go, as you go. Have a great week.